At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take it out and turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to continue our, our series this morning. Um, as we've been looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to begin this morning in verse 10. So if you have an electronic device or a Bible, go ahead and take that out and turn there with me. So it's been about, uh, about four and a half years uh, since my family moved into the house we currently live in. And I remember the excitement of moving in. And I remember the, the uh, overwhelming plans that we had. We had a house. We had a house that had never been renovated. It was built in like 1986, and it still looked like it was a house from 1986. And so we came into the house. We were super excited about all the projects that we were going to do. And even in that first week, we had a week where we had uh, access to the house without having to move in. And so we started a bunch of different projects. And many of you uh, came and helped rip down wallpaper. Many of you came and helped paint some walls. Some of you helped rip up some carpet. And so we thank you for all that. And we started out like this massive gangbusters. And so we were so excited, so eager to get the project started. I remember taking the trips to Lowe's and Home Depot to buy all the paint, the paintbrushes. And it was an exciting time. And a lot of work got done in a little bit of time. Well, this morning, I was reminded as I stepped into my shower that uh, we had great plans to renovate our bathroom, our bathroom that was uh, connected to our master bedroom. And uh, it was one of those projects where we had a team in there starting to rip down wallpaper, and we were going to paint and do all this other stuff. Well, four and a half years later, I walk into that bathroom, and there's still strips of wallpaper on the wall. There's still orange tile, the vanity's still the same, a couple of the fixtures are now broken, and it seems as though the projects that we had a lot of eagerness to get started have kind of fizzled out and we're having a difficult time finishing it. Anybody else like that? Like you're super easy, eager at the beginning of, of a project, like demo day is like, yeah, it's the greatest day ever, and then you rip everything down, and t after all the trips to the home, home store, you get to a point in the projects where you start to have like project fatigue, like life becomes busy again, and it's hard to finish. Anyone like that? Okay, I see those hands all across the worship center this morning. Yeah, it's a difficult thing where you can begin well, but to finish well and to complete projects sometimes becomes very, very difficult. And as we look at the text today, we're going to see a, a similar situation facing the church in Corinth. So we see the church in Corinth had over a year ago, uh, from the time that, that Paul is writing this now, a year, has, a year ago, Paul comes to them and says, I want to let you know about your brothers that are living in Jerusalem that are walking through severe times of poverty and distress. Because of their faith in Christ, moving out of their Jewish background, they, many of them were disowned by their family, many of them lost their homes, many of them lost their jobs, and many of them were living in a sense of poverty. And so Paul has, sends a word out to all the churches in the area and says, hey, let's give, let's help, let's gather up a pool of money so that we can help these brothers and sisters and their families 
that are deeply in trouble, deeply oppressed. Maybe we can gather together our money and ease some of this oppression. And so we, what we learned today and what we'll see today is the, the church in Corinth heard about the need and were super eager, super excited about wanting to partner and be a part of this blessing, the church in Jerusalem. But a year later, they found it difficult to follow through. They had a good start, but they needed some more encouragement. So this is what Paul is doing today in the passage that we're going to take a look at. He's encouraging them not only to start well, but to complete their, their promises that they had made. And so today we're continuing our series titled Overflow, From Him to Us for All. The whole idea of this behind this sermon series is to help us continue to develop a heart of generosity. We see that generosity, as we've learned a couple weeks ago, generosity begins in the grace of God. That the grace of God has come down through the form of Jesus, through the work of Jesus, and that grace of Jesus can become ours through believing in Jesus. And then when the graces of, that God gives us as his love, his mercy, and all of that, as that begins to well up inside of us, it overflows out of us into others. So from God into us to others. Last week, we learned that generous, giving generously displays the gospel. Because we see that the gospel itself, God giving Jesus for us, was an amazing display of sacrifice for the ones that he loves. And so we too can follow in that same example. But today, as we're going to look at the passage, what we're going to see is that ready giving excels with reliable partnerships. Ready giving excels through reliable partnerships. So what we're going to look at today is with the money and resources that God has given us, as he's given them to us, as we excel in giving, we need to make sure that we are giving those gifts to reliable partners. And so when we partner with others that are reliable, it takes the gifts that we give, pulls it together with the, the gifts of others, and it, together we're able to do more than just one person can do on their own. So today we're going to look at how do eager giving and reliable partnerships go together. And another way of kind of asking this question, there are two questions we, we want to see. Is that, can I trust God with my finances? And then can I trust others to be uh, reliable with the gifts that I give? So can I trust God and can I trust others? And so Paul's going to give two commands here as we look at this, this passage and help us to see how partnerships and the acts of grace work together. So in verse 10 through 15, what we're going to see first is Paul encourages the Corinthians to fulfill your eagerness. Fulfill your eagerness. Look with me in verse 10. Paul writes, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance as the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. 
So again, we see here that, that Paul begins by writing to the believers, reminding them again of their promises that they had made to the, to the uh, believers in Jerusalem. In the beginning, when they had heard of their need, they were eager to give. They were excited. They wanted to partner. And they began with the right motives. But Paul is now encouraging them to follow through and to finish their commitment. I can't tell you the, the importance of having the right mo- moment, motives when it comes to giving. If we give out of the right motives, it comes from a place of pure joy. And we see that showing up here in Corinth. They had the desire and they had the eagerness. In verse 10, it says they had the desire to do it. In verse 11, it says they had the readiness in desiring it. And then in verse 12, it says they, the readiness was there. And so we see that they had the right motives. They were eager. They wanted to do it. You see, the motives behind our doing greatly matter. And this goes for how we relate to everyone in our lives. Like our motives and how we work for our boss or how we work with our coworkers or how we care for our spouse or our families or other members of our extended family or even God ourselves. Motives matter. Right? If we do things out of duty... That is, that's kind of a funny word. But if we do things out of duty, then it comes, that comes from a place of an impure motive, right? Like the, you work for a guy that's your boss that you don't really like him that much. And then at Christmas time, they take the obligatory, you know, offering or a gift collection for your boss. Like you don't give because you love your boss. Sometimes you give to your boss because it's, it's duty. It's just what you're supposed to do. Or what about other times when you give or do things out of fear. We know sometimes teens give into peer pressure because they think if they don't do this certain activity, then they will be rejected and they will lose all their friends. Or other times we do things out of pride when we feel like we've got to do something or prove something. But what we see here is one of the greatest lasting motives is that of genuine inner desire. When the gospel comes into the life of a believer, it comes in with a lot of power. And a a whole host of desires come into the life of a new believer. And one of those desires that gets fleshed out is that of giving. Giving away of yourself for the sake of others. For the people that you love, you want to give more and more and more. One of the other things that comes into our lives in the moment that we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior is this opportunity for joy. Joy is a great motive, right? When we we understand what God has done for us, it transforms us and allows us to experience true joy. And so I want to encourage you, like, whatever you do, do it from a place of joy, As you give, do it from joy. As you serve, do it from joy. As you study God's word, do it from joy. As you give flowers, do it with joy. Imagine if I were to go home uh, later this week and have some flowers for my wife, and I were to to give give them to her, which is a good act, right? Giving flowers to your spouse is a good thing. How many women like getting flowers? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Husbands, take note. They love them. Don't forget to give them. So if I were to get some flowers and I were to go home and I were to give them to Sarah and I were to say, I brought you flowers today because I'm afraid of you. 
How's that going to go over? Like, don't beat me, you know? Or I brought you flowers today because I resent you. Not a good motive there. I brought you flowers today because I have to. How is that all going to go over, right? But if I brought you flowers because I really wanted to, because I really wanted to remind you that I love you, I really wanted to remind you that just as beautiful as these flowers are, you are even more beautiful, right? Let's get some ahs and oohs. And Sarah's not even here, so that's good. <laughs> but you see how motive matters, right? You see how motive matters. And this is what, what Paul is getting to. He's saying, always give with readiness, eagerness, and desiring to do it. Like that comes from a good place. And so their motives were right. But then Paul wants to, to tackle another thing. He wants to talk about motives are right, but it's also to, to understand the importance of following through. You can have right motives, but if you don't act on those motives, then your motives really just sit there and do nothing. So what Paul is instructing them, in order to follow through, make sure that you give in proportion. Give in proportion to what God has given you. This is probably one of the most important New Testament uh, principles as it relates to our giving. I mean, I get the question so much and so many times, well, how much should I give? Right? Well, how much should I give? And, and so many times we get so confused that uh, we take Old Testament teaching and New Testament understanding and, and we don't understand how the two relate. Well, I want you to know that the idea of the Old Testament teaching of giving a 10% is not in the New Testament. It's not there. It's not, there's not a scripture or verse that we can go to where Jesus requires us to give 10%. But Jesus, the teaching of giving the 10% was an Old Testament teaching. Right? It was an Old Testament teaching so that people would understand their responsibility to be stewards of what God has given, and it was an amount to show faithfulness. But Jesus kind of flips the script in the New Testament, and he, he's talking about proportionally. He's not talking about giving a specific amount because it is possible if we look um, in our day, it's possible for someone to tithe 10% and take the 90% and still be selfish with it. Right? It, it's, it's, it's not as though Jesus wants to give us a, well, you're, doing, you're giving the 10% so you are righteous. You're, you're in right standing. No, he's saying give proportionately. Look in verse 12. He said, for in the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not a, according to what a person does not have. You see, the Lord wants our giving to come from a, a, a genuine desire from the proportion that he's given. We can also look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, regarding the collection that was to be sent to Jerusalem. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Again, it's this idea of proportion. We saw a couple weeks ago in, in chapter 8, verse 3, that the Macedonians, for they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord. So what, what's better? Is it better for us to give to God a figure like 10%? Or is it better for us to give out of our identity? Right? As, as we understand that God, everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything that we have. 
And if we've been, if God's love has overflowed into us, if we see what God has given us, we can, it can be a true blessing to so many others from our identity. So if someone making $500,000 a year, giving $50,000 of that, is that really sacrificial giving? Does God just want us to give the 10%? I think he wants us to give us to give much more. Some of you may think, well, if I'm supposed to give according to what I have, but unfortunately I don't have much. That's the wrong way of thinking. Another way of saying is, is some people think, I have to wait until I have a million dollars. Once I get a million dollars, then I can be generous. That's got the whole thing backwards. What we begin is, with what God has given you, begin to be faithful. Begin to give uh, out of that. Begin with what you have. Be faithful with what you have. And then continue to expand in your generosity. What you gave this year, give more next year. And what you give then, give more and continue to give more and continue to give more and continue to give more. I met a guy a couple years ago. He lives in Texas. And he... He heard uh, the ser- a sermon about generosity, and he didn't have a whole much uh, at that time, but he determined that each year he was going to give more, and he was going to give more, and he was going to give more. It wasn't going to be based on a percentage. It was just going to be based on, here it is, I'm going to continue to give more. And uh, three years ago when I met him, he told me that he'd, he'd taken that process for almost 20 years, and at the end of 20 years, now he's at the place where he's giving a million dollars away a year. Here's the funny thing about that. He doesn't even make a million dollars. Go figure that. That is the way God multiplies and does his, the thing that he does. What he's looking for is us to say, God, this that I have, this money, whatever's in my bank account, does not give me safety and security. I trust in you. But this year, I'm going to give you this much. I'm going, to give it, I'm going to give it so that you can use it to bless others, so that my hurting brothers and sisters can be blessed and we'll see it multiply. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. He says, I have, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, when we give proportionally, remember even in that, that parable, not all of us are given the same amount of talents. Some are given few, some are given more, but we all are given talents, and it's how we use those talents to glorify God. So with whatever you have, begin by glorifying God and giving proportionally. You see, this idea of proportionality is also the idea of, of, that our giving should be equitable. Look at what Paul writes in verse 13. He says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness, as it's written, whoever gathers mu- gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul is doing some amazing things in, in this passage. One of the things that he's doing is he's seeking to, to begin to heal the racial divide that is taking place. Remember, the Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. And so Corinth was a generally uh, known as a Gentile population where the Christians in Jerusalem were primarily Jews. 
And so what Paul is trying to help them see is that see them not by who they used to be, but see them now who they are is that they are your brother. And who used to be your enemy is now your brother. And so treat them as such. Provide for them as your brother. This Jewish congregation now needed to see their giving as a way of healing and bringing them back together. But what I want us to see is that Paul is aiming here for fairness. He doesn't want the Corinthian believers to give so that it becomes a burden. He's not saying, if you only make $100 a week, I want you to give $99 and you only live off of one. No, he's saying, figure out how much you need. Figure out how much you need and then give out of the excess. Whatever you get over and above that, give it away. Give it so that you can help other believers. So it's this idea of fairness or this idea of equity. See, the goal is not equality. The goal is not if I have more and you have less, then I need to give so that we're all equal. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is determine how much you need over the excess help to those that are below to bring them up to what they need. The goal is equity. And Paul even gives them an example of this. Paul goes back and reminds them even in the Old Testament during the times of Israel and their wandering in the wilderness. Remember, they were in need of food. And so what God did, every morning they would wake up and there was manna on the ground. God provided manna every single day for them. And so what happened is they would go out, and if they had a big family, guess what? You'd gather more. If you had a smaller family, you'd gather less. And at the end of the day, everyone had what they needed. This is what Paul is talking about. We get to the point of everyone has what they need, not equality. I want us to be real clear here that Scripture does not in any way say that the gospel is driven towards socialism, and the gospel is not driven towards capitalism. Sometimes we, in our American mind, we see passages like this all from that idea. The gospel is not socialistic. Socialism says that what we need to do is pull all of our money, we give all of our money to the government, and the government then makes it equal. It doesn't matter if you're hardworking or if you're lazy. Everyone gets equal. Well, that's not gospel-centered. Neither is capitalism to its extent. This is you work hard and you make money and then you abuse other people and it's all about you so that you can live a materialistic life. The gospel shoots more for the middle. This says you work hard. Work hard because it's a gift from God. So working hard and you should be paid for your work. But then with your work, don't make sure, make sure that you're not using your gifts in excess for yourself, but see that God has given you things to help others that find themselves in need. Gospel-driven generosity, it begins with you deciding how much to give. But allow your, your decision to be made on the fact of looking at what God has done for us. Give from the principle of proportion and give from the principle of equity. We are called to work hard, but we're also called to give away. You say, okay, well, what does this look like practically? Well, let me give you some, uh, just one quick practical example of this. You're coming around to that time where you're, you, got, you, you got your phone and it's working fine. All the things are happening, but the new one's coming out. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like the new one's coming out. Yours is working perfectly fine, 
but the new one's coming out. And guess what? You happen to have enough money in your bank account to buy the new one. Well, gospel, looking at this through the gospel lens says, mine's working fine. I don't need the new upgrade, which really isn't going to make my life easier. It's really just going to be the same thing. And so instead of going for the upgrade, you take the money, the excess money that you have, and you give it away. This is countercultural. But this is what God says we are to do. We can't continue to live our lives after the, the, the material things of this world if we're continually going for the bigger house, the bigger car, the, the bigger everything. The, I think the biggest thing that God wants us to see through this passage and even through this series is like if we can come to the place of where we can say, when is enough? Like when, When's enough? Like when are my bills going to get paid? Like getting out of debt, like not continuing to, to feed this debt animal. But when we get to the point of saying, this is how much I need to live. And then I'm not going to go above and beyond that. It means like creating a budget, like a really good budget. This is, this is how much food costs. This is how much our cars cost. This is how much insurance costs. This is how much our mortgage costs. And then we sit there and then we don't say, I'm gonna I need to continue to go for the next bigger and greater and all of that. You get to the point where we say, God, I'm content with what you've given me. This is enough. And anything else above and beyond that, I'm gonna give it all away. I'm gonna give it all away. I'm gonna give it all away. This is when we participate in God-sized ministry because this is not what the world does the world world hoards everything so be eager in your giving be ready and be willing but then follow through and second i want us to see real quickly that we follow through with reliability in in our day people we see uh, that it's not strange for us to give all kinds of money to all different causes that are like millions of miles away, right? I remember uh, when I was in grade school, we were raising money for starving kids in Africa, and they would show us pictures of kids in Africa that are starving, and, and our hearts would be moved to, to help, and we would want to give, and th those are good things. But in Paul's day, and, and it, it, it's not... That's not abnormal for us, right? We live in a global world now. Whenever there's a natural disaster, you can give to the American Red Cross. You can give it a bunch of different places. But in Paul's day, this was strange. It was strange for someone to come and ask for money that was people that were 800 miles away. And so the people were a little skeptical. They were skeptical of two reasons. Two reasons. First, they were skeptical of the fact that the money that they were going to give was going to actually make it to the people they wanted to give it to. Sound familiar? It should. We should be skeptical. We should take and make sure that the monies that we give, that there's accountability for it. Second of all, we, we see that they were also a little bit skeptical of Paul because there were some people inside the church at Corinth that were rising up and kind of questioning Paul's authority as, as an apostle. And so Paul, in this next few verses, what we see is Paul is very, very careful to show them that there is accountability for the gifts. When you give, you can be assured that it's going to where it's supposed to go. Look at me in verse 16. He says, but thanks be to God who put it in the heart of Titus, the same earnest and care I have for you. For he not only accepts our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. So we see that Titus is involved. They know Titus and they, they trust Titus. So, so Titus is, is involved in part of the collection and also making sure the money gets there. But then we also see it another way, another person. 
in verse 18. With him we are also sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to us by the, for the glory of the Lord himself and to show your goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. So we see there's another guy that is coming, that he's a famous guy that we don't know. He's famous for sharing the gospel. We don't know his name. But we also see that he was appointed by the church. So there's some accountability there, that we're going to make sure that the money's getting to where it's supposed to go. And they're doing this because he's appointed by the church, but also so that no one would blame them, that they would be honorable in what they're doing. And then lastly, we see another th- a third guy that's a part of this. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many manners, but who is now more earnest than ever before because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for your brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the church of your love and your boasting about these men. Paul wanted to make it very, very clear that the money that you were giving, that they were giving, was going to go directly to where it was supposed to go. And they could be trusted because there were three men that were going to oversee it. These men, they knew and they could trust. And so they knew that they could follow along. You see, here at Woodside, we are thankful for the fact that you entrust the church through your generous giving. And I want you to know that that we do maintain accountability for all the financial gifts that you give. You see, on the the campus level, each year we set aside a budget that says we think it's going to cost about this much, not only for our facilities, for our staff, um, but also for all the ministries that we do. We think it's going to cost about this much. And then you get a chance because you're here to see that in action. You're able to see it as we do programs for the kids and we have special events for students and as we we feed people through the food pantry. You get a chance to see all of that take place. You come in in the middle of winter when it's negative 40 degrees outside and you sit in here and nine times out of ten, it's warm. Right? That's that's your giving in action. You're able to, to utilize the resources of our Facebook and other things like that because of your faithful giving. So on the campus level, you're able to see all of that. But on the church level, there's one true budget for Woodside. And it's something that once a year we vote on it. And that's coming up. March, or, uh, May 16th, we are gathering together as the church in a time of celebration. But it's also a time that we approve our budget. And so it's at that time, and if you want copies of it, I can get you even copies of it before time. But there it's where we lay out so that everyone can see that when you give, this is where your money's going. Your money's going to help pay for staff. Your money is going to help pay for facilities, but your money's also going overseas, and your money's staying here to do local ministry and local outreach. Also at the annual meeting is the time where we set aside our leaders, those that are responsible for the vision and direction of the church. It's where we approve and we affirm our deacons, our deaconesses, and our elders. And so it's, those are the ones that are responsible for making sure that um, everything that we give towards gets carried out in the way that it's supposed to. And I'll tell you, as I mentioned before, this has been a challenging year to try to figure out, well, well what, what's it going to look like? And I will tell you that this year, God was faithful enough that we didn't have to lay anyone off. 
um, or we, everyone's continued to get, get paid during this time of shutdown and as we started ministry back up again. There were some people that voluntarily laid themselves off and were able to apply for unemployment, but God was faithful to care for our church staff and you were faithful to care for our church staff during this season too. We also learned that we, we cut ministry budgets because we were doing less. And so we were able to, to scale back. And now we're able to, as we're looking into the future, things are, are ramping back up. And we think in this next year, more and more ministries are going to continue to grow. So I want to encourage you, um, as we come to a, a close, I want to encourage you with a couple of things. First of all, I want to encourage you to attend the annual meeting that's coming up. It's important that you understand so we get a chance to celebrate all that God has done, but also so that you get a chance to see what God is doing throughout all of Woodside. That uh, Woodside is more than just the Warren campus. That God is doing things here, but it's good also to see what God is doing in other places. But second of all, I want to encourage you to pray for our church leaders. Pray for us uh, that we would act wisely and that we would budget wisely and that we would care for the resources that God has given us. But then lastly, I want you to examine your own giving to the Lord. Is your motive joy? Are you eager to give or do you give begrudgingly? Ask God, what is my motive? Are you giving in proportion? Are you giving in a way of, of saying, this is enough and everything else above that I'm going to give? And are you giving in a way that honors the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word is truth and your word brings life. And Father, I know that this is a, uh, sometimes it's a, a challenging lesson to learn or words from your truth that are difficult for our ears to understand. But I pray, God, that as we continue to mull over what you have spoken today, may we be more faithful. May we take the steps in our own lives to really say, is my giving coming from a place of joy? And am I giving in a way that shows that joy? Am I giving in a way that it goes above and beyond or am I continued to live in this cycle of materialism? So Father, as we sing this last song, Father, may you continue to allow your word, word to work in our lives and help us to respond however you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.